This podcast was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Welcome back to part two of the Ask the Scientist podcast series. In today's episode, I got to interview Dr. Anne Hilgendorf, and in this segment, we get some great insight into Anne's career, and she provides very helpful guidance for future scientists. Finally, to conclude, I will be asking Anne 10 fun, rapid-fire questions, so make sure to stay tuned until the end. How do you manage your time as a clinician and a researcher? That as well is a to-the-point question. And I have to say, the best support uh, of learning how to manage and of, uh, of learning um, what not to do and what to do is the constant exchange with other physician scientists all over the planet. I think that really uh, gave me new inspiration, gave me hope when I was actually feeling I can't do it and I'm not doing a good job uh, and I, I, I can't do this anymore. And uh, there were times when I was facing that, uh, that thought as well. I think it's a constant challenge, um, but as well at the very same time, it's a, it's a very fruitful and absolutely important um, challenge that I'm facing every day. I think I tried to find a way by dedicating certain days to uh, clinical care. And again, that was inspired by the concept followed uh, in the United States, for example, but in other countries too, where um, you are doing your research and then you are on call and in the clinic for certain weeks uh, during the year. I think that helped me to understand that the constant mixture of both uh, worlds and both things are not doing anything good because you're uh, constantly distracted and you're diving from one pool into the other and back and forth and and that is too much so dedicating certain days i think helped me um, still there is clinical emergencies that you can't um, shut your eyes uh, and and ears off to uh, if you know parents contact you and then there is something that needs to be done immediately um, you have to do it anyways. But uh, there I as well defined uh, a certain threshold of emergency. And I learned to put certain mechanisms into place um, when I am doing science in parenthesis, I mean, if, if, if you want so, then uh, who is taking care of, of the uh, emergencies that can be handled by, standard operating, uh, by following standard operating procedures that you have to put in place. So I think you have to find a structure of how clinical care uh, is running um, well in a, in a way without you when you're doing science because on the other hand, the students, uh, the postdocs, the technicians, everybody deserves as well that you are fully present when you are doing, uh, you know, you're doing science and you're not half distracted and, and your thoughts are back with the patients, but you know, they're well taken care of. Um, for example, uh, I find it a great concept to have um, to have nurse practitioners in place that are you know can do a great job. Um, that's a concept that that's not so broadly used in in Germany. Um, but there's certain structures that you can implement. I think 
um, doing uh, a certain science part, uh, then as well, you have to appreciate that you are a clinician. So don't uh, measure yourself with uh, somebody that um, is, is doing science only, and that again in parenthesis. Um, because you have to, uh, you have to know that you're going back and forth, and you have to focus on the strength that is giving uh, you, uh, that this is giving you, uh, as opposed to always feel um, the incompetence that you're not doing uh, enough. So, with respect to science, then you have to say that a part of your group, and this is how I solve this question, a part of your group is working in close contact with the, with the clinical questions so that they would understand um, the other world that you're coming from. And, uh, and then on a science level, they exchange with the students that work fully in the lab. And so this is how the entire group learns to speak both languages or even create their own language um, so that translation really is a, a daily thing that is happening in the group. And that helps yourself to bring these two worlds together. I think that a source of anxiety for postdoctoral researchers who may find in this competitive environment for funding and positions that the quality of their research output is somewhat reflected by publishing in a high-impact journal. What kind of advice could you provide to scientists that may be worrying about this? I would like to answer that from a very personal standpoint of view, because I think if you would ask uh, 100 people, you would have 200 opinions about this uh, question. I think I had, I was lucky enough to have great role models. And um, for example, Marlene Rabinovich once said to me, well, you know, you have to ask the right questions uh, and you have to closely look at the findings you have to um, validate that by using different approaches. Um, you have to be convinced that what you're seeing right now uh, is um, what to, to the best of your uh, abilities uh, really is what is going on. Um, and then you have to carefully write it down because what is printed on paper is printed on paper to the end of your life and, and beyond. And then you have to publish it at a certain point and don't only chase the impact factor, but get it published, get it out there and give other people the chance to then as well, you know, get to know what you're thinking, uh, take it from there. And, uh, and then you have to ask the next question. And she always said, you know, true, true, but unrelated. Okay. You have to ask the question again. And, um, that was in the very competitive environment of Stanford where I believed um, that everything was about the impact factor. That was my personal uh, idea when I first got there. And then I learned, no, it's, it's about the teamwork. It's about the network. It's about the quality of your research and the quality of your, uh, or of how you address the question. And uh, absolutely to begin with the quality of the question that you asked. And so never be shy um, to be convinced that you have asked a good question and uh, never be shy to, um, to question, you know, how have I addressed that question? And then ask different people, make it a team effort and, and put in so many other brains that, that can help you to think through this uh, and ask uh, critical questions. 
exchange uh, your thoughts and then get it published and don't be disencouraged because a journal that presumably holds the holy grail because it has the highest impact factor uh, did say no it's not saying uh, uh, necessarily something about that your question was bad or yet that how you addressed it was bad i agree that we shouldn't be ashamed of publishing our work because we spend so much time trying to work out the best way to address our research questions and that work deserves to be added to the field regardless of where it is it is published. So as a group leader you have supervised quite a lot of students. What are the key skills you have found to be essential in order to be a good supervisor? I think the most important quality that I learned and that I um, appreciate the most is well, if you want to, if you want to, you can put it in a picture and say, I'm having a lab meeting. I'm, uh, you know, everybody is positioned around a large table. There is always, when I start the lab meeting, there is this feeling of absolute appreciation that all these people with their respective stories, with their respective lives, with their respective challenges, with their um, talents and with, their, uh, with the battlefields that everybody has. All these people give us, the group and me, their time and sit there and put in their brains and put in all their other talents and, and ways of how to contribute. And I think the greatest, the greatest skill that you can develop is to appreciate that and to never forget that. So a person might be for you and your certain skill set might be more challenging than another. If you don't forget the appreciation and the wonder that it is that all these people come together and and travel that your path cross and they travel through your life and they travel quite a bit of that way with you i think that appreciation is is probably the most important perspective at least to me that that you need to have because that gives you that makes you humble uh, I think, and that gives you uh, a, a new perspective and a new angle every time, even if times get rough, and they do, because you need to publish, you need to uh, write a certain grant, there's always a deadline, and, you know, believe me, I'm always half past the, bed, the deadline, so it's like, you know, you, you constantly, or you can be constantly stressed. So to breathe in and enjoy those moments, I think that is, that is maybe the most important thing to do. I think you have to see uh, another skill that you need is you have to see yourself very critical. I think you have, to, um, you have to be able to reflect on yourself and thereby understand uh, other people better, their decisions, their uh, ways of how to function. You have to give them room when I started and for a long time, I almost gave them too much room because I always believed uh, everybody needed space to find their own path. I still believe that, but I have as well uh, learned that there's certain points where you need to structure, uh, you need to give a certain frame, you need to 
um, you know, uh, uh, light up the next candle and, uh, and enlighten the way without that you do that too much because people as well have to, uh, you know, feel the challenge themselves and then develop a certain skill set. So I think it's a constant, uh, a constant, you know, finding your way of, um, you know, trusting the people, uh, giving them room, having them find their own way of how to develop, but then as well, you know, to set certain milestones, to set certain endpoints, and say, okay, look, but this is where we meet again. This is where we actually, you know, both agree uh, that that you and I should meet there again, and that this is A, B, C. This the certain things we're going to look at then, and this is my expectations. But I think that that has to be um, as well uh, an exchange. So by talking to somebody and, and telling them what to do, if that is not a conversation and uh, if the other person doesn't have the opportunity to respond, to ask questions, to go back, to, uh, you know, then there will be misunderstandings. There will be uh, points where you meet, but only one person brought whatever was required and the other person, uh, you know, seemingly doesn't bring the thing to the table that was expected. So that communication uh, has to be from two sides and that has to take uh, a certain amount of time as well. So quickly shouting something and quickly, you know, giving orders that's something that only works uh, in certain settings. You have to have an in-depth conversation about things um, and, and really give, uh, give uh, the other person as well room to express uh, themselves. And that is as well taking into consideration the certain level in their career. So that means that um, you will be facing certain questions a couple of times because again, somebody is starting and, and somebody is, you know, going on a new adventure. But never forget, this is their life. It's, it, it may be a repeat of a question for you, but it's their life. So it's their first time to ask that question or their second time. So I think um, to be humble, to, to appreciate um, but as well to learn how to carefully structure and, and set expectations and milestones and goals. I think that's, uh, that's very uh, important. Do you have a method of conflict resolution in your lab? Because sometimes as scientists, we can get pretty fiery about ideas and really testing them in different ways. Sometimes conflicts do arise in lab groups. In your group, do you have a way of resolving that sort of situation? I think that you have to be the best example yourself. You can't be expecting for your group to, um, you know, be patient, uh, be, uh, be kind and be respectful uh, if you're not doing that in every minute um, yourself. If it doesn't always, if you're not always successful in doing so because there's stressful times for yourself as well, then go back and explain and say, you know, I overreacted, I did, I am sorry, this and that was my reasons to, uh, you know, for the way I reacted and I will try to um, better myself and, and don't do that the next time. 
so I think to have an, an open and self-reflecting, uh, you know, relationship with yourself there and reflect that into the group as well, I think that's important. I think, especially in, a, in an international context, it's as well important to one, set certain rules, but two, um, openly have a conversation, and we do that all the time, about certain, uh, you know, cultural differences as well, because something that you mean well and that you say can be perceived uh, very differently from a person that was raised in a very different cultural context. So I think you have to have a very open, curious and accepting uh, way of how you address these things, because um, well, I, I just have a situation in mind in my own lab uh, during the last weeks where, uh, you know, I know that that one of my students is is always she's very engaged and then uh, and then, uh, you know, addressing certain points and uh, and she, well, for a person that was raised in a very different cultural context, that may seem very harsh and very, uh, you know, well, only medium friendly. Well, if you if you explain that and if you reflect on that, how the culture difference as well plays into that, I think that's very important because all of a sudden the other person can understand and say like, oh, you know, you're not you're not angry at me. So, well, you know, now I can listen to the context that you have to say or the, the thing that you want to bring across. And I'm not, you know, totally, uh, you know, back with my back in the corner uh, because the way you present it uh, is already, you know, making me nervous or making me anxious even. So um, I think that that's what I learned with dealing with the parents for so many years. They have trained me to um, see uh, things from very different perspectives. And I think if you sit there and don't be um, personally um, well uh, engaged in a way as that you feel attacked or that you feel, uh, you know, you feel guilt uh, because somebody is saying something, then you're not trying to defend yourself all the time. So if you try to be a good example in that respect, then I think you can create an open, um, an open space where a very respectful um, conversation is, is possible. And then as well, uh, differences in, in opinions can be voiced and should be because that is what's moving your science across uh, and, and in, in onto the next level. I think if um, conflicts arise, and I mean, believe me, in my own lab, it, it does all the time. Um, what I try to do more and more during the last years is not to say, um, well, I very, uh, only very few occasions, I, I would actually say, well, don't, you know, don't do that or don't do this or, or um, I would more, well, of course, speak to the person in private and say, well, look, you know, I think that is a little bit hard for the other people to take. But I think that the choice that I made over the years is to then more, um, you know, rephrase that question and say, well, I guess, you know, so and so was asking, or that's what I was hearing. Uh, he or she was asking this and that, and I think that is a great way of how you can review, um, you know, the results you just presented. What do you think of this? So now all of a sudden you take the edge off, um, you translate, 
and uh, and then they can uh, and I mean this is all very smart people again so they will easily comprehend aha you know that was the message uh, I only heard the tone so to say and then things um, can develop from there would you be able to share with us uh, one of your proudest moments you've had as a group leader oh yeah I'm happy to share uh, my my proudest moment I think that every time somebody does something where from our previous engagement I know that he or she had a hard time to actually uh, face that challenge and then if he or she does it nonetheless that is always my proudest moment and that that isn't only you know the, the big presentation at uh, at a huge international meeting sometimes it's a very small presentation in the lab um where i know that 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 person had a hard time to actually overcome a hurdle and he or she did and you know there you go so i think the proudest moment always to me is if somebody you know cracked a nut and and said oh you know I, it really was hard on me it's either presenting or, or going back and doing and search and research again and again. And I know that that was hard on that person. And then they made their way through and found the hidden gem behind that. Um, that I think always makes me very proud because then I can see how people develop. And, uh, and that to me is, is, the biggest, uh, is the biggest moment. And do you have an ultimate scientific goal? That is a huge question. I think um, my ultimate goal would be, um, well, maybe to put it in a picture, if what would I do um, at my last day in the lab and in the clinic? So in Germany, we're very strict, you know, when, when you're actually leaving science and leaving your, your professional life. Um, and I, I appreciate that in, in other countries that's different. So you can, you can stay longer, you stay on, you, you know, you're still contributing. So whatever that, that one of the last days would be, I think I would actually envision myself to meet uh, a parent of a preterm baby and say, well, let me explain to you what I did and what I tried to accomplish um, during all those years. Look, this is what I did. And if that parent could understand what I was aiming for and could appreciate that something in this baby's life that is now his baby or, or her baby changed because of that, then I think I would have accomplished something that would give me the, uh, the satisfaction of having walked um, that way for a reason. I think another, another goal is um, Yasha Snyder has, has once shown a map of uh, uh, during a meeting of where all his students went. And this was a world map really. And it was like, it looked like, a, you know, like a, like a plan of an, of an uh, aircraft company of traveling everywhere. Um, looking at that and seeing how, you know, people that you have met and that you have worked with and then spreading out all over the, uh, all over the globe. I think that is as well a goal. 
that um, where I would be proud to say, well, that's something, you know, that can multiply itself. Um, and hopefully they take away good experiences uh, and some aha moments. And, uh, and that is, that is a thing, uh, if you can achieve that goal, or if I could achieve that goal, I think that would be very satisfying too. That is quite a humble request. For your last day at work, to speak to a parent of a preterm baby you have been treating, and to also see where your students have gone. I think this reflects your personality as someone who is down to earth and sees the best in everyone and wishes the best for everyone. So thank you for answering all those questions about your research and science career pathway. For the final segment of the podcast, I have a set of 10 rapid fire questions. For each of the 10 questions, I would like you to answer the first thing that comes to mind. So Anne, are you ready to begin the rapid fire question section? Absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's get started. Question number one. What is your favorite snack to eat? My favorite snack would be nuts uh, that I can take with me in my pocket everywhere. Okay, well, that's very healthy. Um, question number two. Kind words that were said to you recently. Thank you for helping me on this. Um, I didn't know that I was able to achieve it. I did it nonetheless. Question number three, who is the historical figure you would have liked to have met? Okay, here comes the rapid fire. I have to think about it uh, for a second. I think <laughs> I would have liked to meet, well, the first person that comes to my mind, weirdly enough, is Bismarck, actually. I don't know why. Uh, well, I, I could maybe construct uh, an explanation, but I think I would have liked to meet Bismarck engaged in this, well, then just developing European uh, idea. I think I would have liked to ask him some questions. Uh, question number four, would you rather sing or dance in public? I would absolutely prefer the singing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to ask why. Question number five. If someone gave you a pet elephant, what would you do with it? I would walk with that pet elephant uh, over the globe and show him the world. Very nice. That's what I like to hear. Question number six. Describe your life using one word. Sunshine. Great. Question number seven. If you had to ride a roller coaster for a whole day or go through a haunted house for a whole day, which one would you pick? Well, I would, I would be afraid all the time, but I would go to the haunted house uh, because the roller coaster, to me, is the utmost challenge that I would try to avoid at all costs. <laughs> okay, question number eight. Pick one, morning or evening? Morning. Question nine. Who is your favorite superhero? Michelle Obama. Oh, good response, good response. Question number ten. What makes you smile? What comes to my mind, the first from the top of my head is um, that if I was angry with my son and I really lectured him on something, and then he is a very forgiving person. So he comes over and says, mommy, I love you so dearly. I have to smile. Yeah, that's so sweet. And that concludes the rapid fire question segment. I'd like to thank you very much for your time, Anne and I wish you continued success in your research. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
And that marks the end of the Ask the Scientist podcast series. If you are interested in keeping up with Anne's research or asking her any questions about her group's work, then you can follow Anne on Twitter via the handle at Anne Hilgendorf. You can also listen to our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts and iTunes under the Breathe Easy banner. And make sure to subscribe to receive updates on new releases. From the ATS Respiratory Structure and Function Committee, my name is Lakshani Wickramasinghe, and I thank you very much for listening, and stay tuned for the next Ask the Scientist podcast session.